everyone, welcome into another episode of the Comics Experience Make Comics podcast, the show where we talk about the nuts and bolts of making comics. My name is Joey Grow, and I am joined by Comics Experience's own Andy Schmidt, who is a writer, an editor, a printer, I'm an educator, an instructor, and now a publisher. Andy, I don't know that uh, I lined up all of the different titles that you could technically have. <laughs> But I think that was a good running start, and you've announced it and talked about it in a few different places, but now Comics Experience has Comics Experience Publishing. And for folks unfamiliar with what Comics Experience has done in the past, you've done different publishing initiatives over the year, but this is a a whole new ball of wax, and I thought it might be interesting to listeners to hear how you got to this step where now you're a publisher. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, as it turns out, I wear a lot of hats. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so in the past, just to sort of clarify, because I know a lot of people have been listening to this podcast for quite some time and have heard about sort of our what I would call our co-publishing ventures. And those were done through Comics Experience. They were, they were done to try and elevate, you know, really talented people that we've come, come through the program, whether it's courses or a workshop or whatever, and get their work out there. And so the education company comics experience went out and formed uh, sort of master agreements with a couple of publishers. And then we would, we would have our own submission process that would come through us. And then we would take the projects to them, uh, to, to the publishing partners and, and with our recommendations, and then they would have sort of final say, cause they're publishers. And so they could veto stuff or they could say, uh, or they could, you know, take it, or they might even look at some of the things that we weren't sure that, that we might be on the fence about whether or not they'd want to take, like, because every publisher has their specific, you know, sort of, you know, things that they're really good at and, you know, strengths and weaknesses, that kind of thing. Um, and we'd have these conversations and eventually, you know, the publishers would, would agree to publish X number of titles and we get those going. But, um, but the scope of that, you know, the, the publishing partner really always had the final say. Um, so that was, that was part of it. Um, and then also the scope of what we were doing was really still in the vein of education and trying and and only trying to break in new talent, Mm -hmm. um, which is all like, all of that is fine. And, and, you know, I'm very grateful for our publishing partners, um, source point press most recently, they've been awesome. Uh, IDW was a, was a really good publishing partner as well, uh, before them, but, um, you know, things, <laughs> things changed. Uh, there was, there was this pandemic that hit last year and what we realized was since I had started the printing business, ONS printing, um, we were getting all these files ready for print and, and working with all the creators and all that kind of stuff. And then we would give it to our publishing partner. They would do some work on it too. Um, and then eventually they were giving it back. Uh, I mean, I guess sort of back to me, but, but they would, they would then take it to ONS printing. And so then not my comics experience staff, but my ONS printing staff was then, was then taking the, those same files, these 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 files, and sending off to print and shipping them to Diamond and shipping them to the warehouses and all that sort of stuff. So when the pandemic hit, Diamond shut down and all that happened, I wound up just kind of looking at this and like, this is kind of crazy. Because at this point, 
you know, I'm getting solicits ready. I'm doing all this stuff and I'm, you know, I'm giving it to the publisher. And, and again, SourcePoint Press was, has been a terrific partner. And, and even since I called them and said, we're going to, we're going to go our own way. Um, Travis specifically and Josh, both uh, Warner at, at SourcePoint Press have been immensely helpful and extraordinarily supportive. So like, like those guys have been fantastic, but it was kind of funny when I talked to Travis about, about this, he initially thought that I was saying I was going to go to another publisher, that I was leaving them to go do a co-publishing deal with another publisher. And when I realized that's what he thought, I said, no, 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 We're at, what I did during the pandemic when things were shut down is I just went to Diamond and asked if they'd be interested in, in having us bulk up our publishing program and and get in there as a as a real publisher. And they said, yes. So now we had access to uh, diamond directly. And so we could set up our books for print. So we had this opportunity to go through diamond directly, which, uh, which is adds more to our plate, but it also, if we're going through distribution ourselves, now we have just so much more control. We can approve projects we want. We can approve projects by whomever we want, right? We can start our own projects. We just have, we can, we can put more projects out if we want. Now, there's the difference between what we can do in theory and what we can do in actuality. You know, there's all of these things, you know, the more books you put out, the more money you're putting out for printing, the more, like the more expensive it all gets. And so, you know, there are very clear limitations on what we can actually afford to do. And, and we, we do have very limits on what we can do, but we have our own, you know, we have, we, we now kind of, we run the show ourselves now, which is, which is nice. Um, it is more demanding on us, but, what we decided, what I decided really was, you know, I was really interested in kind of going beyond doing only breaking in new talent. Um, that is always going to be a part of what we do. Um, and so we are, we are essentially comics experience publishing is a, a different company. It's got different staff. Um, it's, it's got a different, uh, it's got a, a different agenda It's not actually connected to comics experience other than obviously I'm involved in both. So, so essentially comics experience publishing is now that is now that partner, um, for comics experience is kind of sounds silly, but that's kind of the way it works now. Um, but comics experience publishing as an own, as its own independent company, really has uh, breaking in new talent as a as a core value of what it wants to do and, and starting new projects. But we can go beyond that. We've always been very pro creator, uh, creator owned projects, creator friendly. Um, you know, we've always, you know, talked about that. And now we're able to, to show it. So we're able to uh, you know, like, like all of the things that have been best in my life, I've sort of just backed into them. <laughs> um, you know, I, I backed into comics experience because I was being asked how to learn about writing comics, how to learn about editing comics and all that sort of stuff. And then I realized that, well, I'll, you know, I'd really love teaching. So I'll start creating classes that I wished had existed when I was trying to break into comics. Right. That, that, that was the founding principle of comics experience as the education company. Um, and so I kind of backed into it of like, well, what would I have wanted? You know, when I was on the other side of this thing. And so, so we built comics experience. The same thing happened with the printing business where uh, all these creators were struggling with printers. Either they were having communication problems or they weren't getting what they 
thought they were going to get, or people were jacking up the prices during the process, or the printing quality when they got it wasn't what they expected. It, it wasn't up to stuff. And so, you know, or the pricing was just really high, which it is for independent creators. So, you know, once I kept having those conversations with friends at conventions over and over, and sometimes online too, eventually I just started you know, with, with a couple of people at first being like, let me, let me see if I can massage some of this out. Like I know a lot of printers. Let me see if I can, you know, let me see if I can get you at least linked up with, with one that's really reputable that'll treat you well and make sure you get a good product. And then eventually, you know, word of mouth spread. And next thing I know, I'm talking to, I'm talking to friends of friends of friends and how am I going to help them? And I'm like, I can't, I can't actually spend 10 hours a week <laughs> doing this. Um, and so, you know, with that, then I went and sought out, um, this awesome printing partner. Um, and we made a, an agreement between us where we wouldn't have to raise prices for me to be involved. Um, and because now ONS is bringing in, all of these different creators and all of these different projects, we get access to bulk pricing. So we get lower pricing for creators and all that. But again, something I just backed into at first, I was just trying to help some friends out. And then a few months later, well, more than a few months later, but uh, at some point, not that long from there, I wound up making, turning it into this, this business, which I think has been very bad for a lot of independent creators. So it's another way that we were trying to help creators and it wound up becoming a whole thing that I didn't expect to be, <laughs> to be doing. Um, but I'm glad we did. Um, I actually really enjoy it. And I really enjoy working with creators on all those levels. So with comics experience publishing, we're just taking this to that next step of, we've always said we support creator on projects. We've always said we want uh, creators to, to own and, and control their own IP. So let's be that publisher. Let's be that publisher where when we give you a deal, that deal is about publishing your comic. It's not about taking your rights to your underlying intellectual property, to your characters and to the stories, and then us trying to sell them off or whatever. We are interested in publishing your comic. We have a deal that's completely separate. We can represent, you know, I've got an agent, a manager out in LA and then we can represent properties in LA, but it's a separate deal. It, it, it is a completely separate discussion and the publishing deal isn't contingent at all on that. It is there if, if, and when you want it. So, so our deals are strictly about publishing and they are really creator focused. They, it is the best deal that I could come up with that. I think there is a slim chance we might be able to stay afloat. And what I've been doing, what we've been doing beyond that is, you know, our, I, our, theory is that we, if we put creators first, right, we put them out there and we, we, we push them to retailers and we push them to fans and, and we build up loyalty to the, to the creators. And if we are clever about our marketing and about our sales uh, team and how they go about uh, getting sales, then we should be able to make creators money. If creators are making money, Hopefully we'll get some loyalty. They'll bring back bigger and better projects. And eventually as a company, you know, we'll, we'll stop sinking <laughs> and eventually we'll turn that tide around and, and we'll be able to, we'll be able to break even. But I don't think with these deals, I don't think the company is ever going to get, you know, going to get, going to get rich, but that's okay. Like I have other, I have other means. I do my freelance work. I do comics experience and I've got the printing business. I have other means of making money. Um, but I do want to make sure that my staff 
and there are there are five or six of us starting this. Um, I, I do want to make sure that they're fairly compensated for the large amounts of work that they're doing. Um, so you know, it's all, it, it, a lot of this is all about just trying to be as fair as we can to everybody. And then we've got we've got good ideas about marketing, um, and we're trying those out and we're learning with everything we do. So the second time we do something is better than the first. The third time is better than the second time. Um, so we're a busy we're a busy bunch of people. <laughs> but uh, but it's good. You know, we, right now, um, you can go to the website, cexpublishing.com, uh, just Comics Experience Publishing. Um, and then you can see, like, our first offering, Stud in the Blood Blade. You can buy directly off the website. We've got a couple of, like, limited edition variants. They're they're a higher price point, but they're super cool. There's, you know, the, the highest price point one is the metal cover one, which is super cool, and there's only 50 of them. Um, we've got a signature series, so it's autographed by... Um, by Perry Crow and Jed Daughtry on the the writer and the artist on it. Howling Snow is up there, so you can buy directly from the website. Um, and it's uh, I don't know. We've we've got ideas about how to reach secondary markets. We've got ideas about how to work in web sales and and how to market online to consumers who aren't your normal consumer. We've got plans for how crowdfunding will will function within this. And all of that is baked into very, very good creator-owned deals. Joey, I feel like I've been babbling, but there's just a lot that I think is really exciting. And I think there is a space for, for any company really. It doesn't have to be CEX, but for a company like CEX to exist in the marketplace that's good for creators, good for the market, good for fans. Uh, and I think there's a space there because a lot of a lot of these other publishers are kind of IP farms and they are, you know, the deals aren't all that favorable for creators and, and there's room for more that are. Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like with your approach, you know, you're obviously being as cautious as you can in terms of trying to launch the right way with the, the, the obvious real world impact of budgets and time. Do you have a general sense of how many titles that you think you might be up to, uh, I don't know, say a year, I guess that's probably too, too far out for future casting. Is there kind of a general rule of thumb you're looking at as far as how many books you want to take on at the time? Cause you could obviously, you know, open the floodgates and that could cost a lot of money and time and <laughs> effort, uh, right. but you know, slow growth seems to be the way to go for any new publisher, regardless of, of how you're getting into it. Yeah, the, the, the trouble is really finding that balance, right? So so right now we're launching a new number one issue each month. So there's a, a you know, for a new title each month. And some, some of those number one issues are one shots. So it comes out that month and there's no second issue the next month. Some are, you know, the first issue of a mini series. So, and we're not doing very long mini series because those get costly and the sales decline is pretty steep going from issue one to issue five or six or whatever. Um, so we're doing shorter miniseries. Um, some of our, our first one, like Sudden the Bloodblade, was ori originally you know, what would typically be six issues in length. And we're putting it out as three double-sized issues for only a dollar more than your typical comic. So in, instead of paying $3.99 and getting 22 pages, you're paying $4.99. So only a dollar more and you're getting 44 pages. So it winds up being a, a really good deal from a content to your dollar standpoint. But it also means that our sales decline ends at issue three not at issue five or six, right? So 
So it's a it's a little bit of kind of hedging your bets. You know, if sudden the blood blade takes off and winds up being a huge hit, then we actually left money on the table if if, if we had done it as a you know a six issue series. If it is a medium hit, then it's probably a wash. Um, but if it sales a little low because we're a new publisher and people haven't heard of us, then we may have saved ourselves some pain. <laughs> and right now, the, the, that more cautious approach makes sense, you know, for us as a smaller and newer publisher. But we're having fantastic conversations with retailers uh, all over the country, and I'm sure we're going to continue to have conversations not just with retailers in Canada and the U.S., but you know, also in Australia and Europe as well, UK. Um, but uh, but yeah, the plan right now is to launch like a new number one each month, which means that on any given month, we'll be publishing anywhere from only one title to, you know, maybe three, maybe four at the most. And then eventually there will be collected editions. Um, we're not in a hurry to put our collected editions out. We want to wait probably for our first ones. We'll probably wait a little bit um, because we're still, we want to get past sort of that initial audience growth phase so that when we do release a collected edition there's more fans that, that weren't there for the mini series that'll want to pick the book up but yeah i mean in 2020 so for 2021 there will be six number ones uh, sudden the blood blade comes out in at the end of july howling snow which is a one shot comes out at the end of august then we've got space core number one which i know joey you are very familiar with um and then uh, Charlie Spot number one. After that, I don't think we've announced that. So we'll have a new number one each one of these months uh, up through December. And then in 2022, uh, we'd like to increase to at least two number ones. And then as soon as we think it's viable, get to three number ones a month. And that probably won't just be like a light switch where we go like, oh, it's July of 2022. Click. Now it's three new number ones every month. It won't happen that way. It'll it'll be more like we'll test it out. We'll do three number ones one month and then maybe two months later, three months later, we'll, we'll try it again and make sure make sure it's sustainable. Uh, and make sure that we have the content. So, you know, we've got, you know, as a new publisher, you have to make sure you're putting out really good content. Um, you know, every everything that you put out that is that people look at and think doesn't look like it's up to snuff uh, costs you more sales down the road. So we have to be cautious about the content that we're that we're putting out. We have to be mindful about the expense, but uh, we're doing it. But like I said, we've already got a, a staff of people. And there is, it is, it is impossible with the deal that we have. It is impossible to pay for that staff with one new number one a month. So uh, we've got to get to the point where we're we're getting more revenue for CEX just so that we can stay in business and keep putting out great content. So there is a there's a balancing act, uh, a very delicate balancing act between the quality of of the content you're putting out, the reach it can make the expenses with your overhead and your staff and then, you know, the expenses of the printing and all that. So it's, um, it's complicated, but it's exciting. This is the riskiest thing I've ever done. I mean, you know, I mean, that's every other business I've started has, has had a relatively low, like buy-in, so to speak. Um, you know, like with comics experience, cause it was all online. Um, and we weren't producing, uh, you know, comics and things like if we were able to get profitable, it was just me. I know other employees we were able to be profitable just within the first couple of months. And that's just, it's not even in the realm of possibility here. We are going to be sinking for a while, you know, but, uh, but it's part of the plan. You know, we know we're going to sink. 
we're hoping to level off by, you know, a point that we've we've all talked about. I've been transparent with all the people involved about when I think we should be leveling off and then we should start digging out <laughs> the hole we dug ourselves. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully. And my, my hope is that that is about a three-year cycle. My hope is that around the end of year three, we'll be kind of dug out of the hole and be kind of at the break-even point in three years, which sounds terrible when I say that. <laughs> Uh, when I've been at the break-even point in like two months on on some other things I've done, but um, but uh, uh, which is not to say that I don't believe in the education company or or the printing company or whatever, but um, but I just I really believe in this. I, I believe the industry needs it. I believe creators need it. I believe retailers want it, and I believe fans want it too. So, um, and I also believe that between myself, Paul Aller, Bon Alamagno, um you know, um, you know, Ken, you know, all the, all the people that I have working with me on this, I, I think I've got the right mix of people behind the scenes that are smart, um, that are dedicated, that we can, that we can do this and, and make, uh, make it easier for creators to make cooler comics for fans, which is, which is pretty darn cool. I think it's going to be awesome. And you also mentioned that it doesn't have necessarily the same component that you were working with previously, which was breaking in new creators and new talent. So you do have the option of potentially bringing in other folks uh, that might already have more titles under their belts or doing a different approach to a collected work or something that might be a little different than what you've done previously. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, so breaking new talent in is always going to be something we're, we're doing. That's not going to, it's not like we're going to try and get bigger name creators and then stop breaking in new talent. Breaking in new talent is a core value of the companies. Like I've, and I've literally written out, here's what our core values are. Everybody that, that comes into the company that, that, you know, that I'm hiring into the company, they have to sign off on that, 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 that they're, they support those core values. And that's one of them. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm absolutely already well into conversations with, you know, with creators who have a decently long, if not very long track record behind them. Uh, and my firm belief is, you know, if we put out, you know, let's say we are at the point where we're putting out two number ones per month and one of those number ones each month is breaking in, you know, relatively new talent or, or not very well-known talent. Um, and then the other number one is by somebody that, that, brings a big fan base with them. Well, I think that's, you know, hopefully going to, you know, rising tide raises all ships type of a thing. So I, th I think the more attention that we get, even if it is for some of these books by, you know, by bigger name creators or what have you, then hopefully that's going to bring attention to the whole program. And, and the, the new creators are going to benefit from that because we'd like to get to the point where CEX is synonymous with really great storytelling and a place where you go when, when you want to be entertained and a place where you want to go when you want to see, you know, great talent you're aware of, but also find tomorrow's great talent. Um, and I think that's a really powerful message, powerful combination. I'm also interested in other formats. Like I'd really love to be doing, you know, like high-end art books and things like that by, you know, I, I, part of the core values is supporting the industry. And that means supporting the creators that got us here. Um, you know, that, that kind of a thing. And, and some, and to some level, you know, even archival work, right? Like let's get this thing in print before it, before it disappears forever. Um, 
you know, so we, so we're interested in, in doing, you know, cool, uh, reprint edition books and things like that. I, I can't start off doing all of this, but this is all stuff that's in the, that, you know, that we talk about regularly. Like, I can't wait till we can get to do that. Right. And so, you know, with the, again, with, with the folks involved and not just me, I mean, I'm not the only one involved with a vision, um, you know, certainly Vaughn too comes in with a, with a lot of ideas for really cool ways that we can help creators make more money off of the books, um, help creators market. So, you know, for example, um, one of the, one of the constant complaints that I hear from creators is how, you know, they signed a publishing deal with a publisher and then the publisher didn't really market the book. They put it in the diamond catalog and just kind of hope for the best and whatever. There was some small check at the end of all of this. Um, that's not how we work. So we are, we are, you know, and Stud in the Bloodblade, I think is a good example of this. You know, Perry is somebody who's a really, he's really good at talking to people. He's very comfortable doing that. So Perry, we, we, we had a long, we've had many long conversations with Perry about how are you going to sell the book? Because we believe that a, we want to put creators front and center, right? We want retailers to know Perry's name because the next thing Perry does, whether it's with us or with somebody else, we want them to remember, Hey, I've talked to that guy and, and, and his book sold well for me. So we, um, you know, we, uh, curated a list of stores like, uh, and when I say in Perry's area, I don't just mean in the town he lives in. I mean, you know, in a, in a couple of states, he's lived in a couple of different places. So we curated all these retailers that he could call and be like, hey, I used to live down the road from you, you know, and and try and, you know, make more kind of personal connections. Um, you know, we're trying some stuff, you know, to break the book into the collector's market a little bit with some of these higher end um higher end items and more collectible versions of it. So we're, we're really trying to make sure that we're not leaving any potential audience, um, that, that, you know, of a certain size, obviously, you know, off the table. And we're going to do some online advertising. Once the book is out, there are, there are other communities given the nature of it. You know, it's, it's sort of a love letter to, you know, sort of toy boy toys of the eighties, like, uh, you know, masters of the universe and, you know, big muscly heroes and you know, Rambo and stuff like that. Um, it's sort of like a love letter to all that. And we think that once the book is complete, like we don't need to market issue one to, um, to fans of that type of content, but when all, the whole thing is out, we should definitely be marketing them. So, so we're not, we're not even doing one marketing push. We're doing a pre-marketing push and that'll target some collectors and things like that. We're doing the, the marketing push, obviously, during the sales cycle when retailers can be ordering from from Diamond and other wholesalers. And then we're doing the post-marketing push to those other audiences and, and communities that we think would be interested in this material that probably aren't going to go seek it out at a comic shop that may or may not have it, but would maybe order it online or order a, a digital version of it. So we, we are definitely looking at multiple markets that we're hitting. We don't just throw it in a catalog and hope for the best. And I don't know of any other company, honestly, I don't know of any other company that, that is doing that. And that's one of the questions about growth too, is can we do that with every comic <laughs> as we grow, as we start producing more and more comics, you know, you run into the like, okay, we're doing three comics a month now, instead of three number ones a month, instead of one number one a month now, but we have the same staff. We're gonna have to grow the staff too. But we, again, you have to be mindful of if you're growing the staff, are you digging a bigger hole? <laughs> financially or are you able to grow the staff 
and and still start that trend of of getting toward and starting to even climb out of that hole this is super fun joey this is really fun because all of my calls that used to be with creators about creative things and story which i, I love are now business calls and I talk a lot about contracts and I hate it, but I'm really passionate about the end result. That's the thing. Um, and I also kind of feel like if it's not me, who's it going to be? Who's going to do it? Well, I'm sure there's a balance there too. And talking about the creative to a point, then maybe that's something that changes over time. Once you guys get more of a track record, as far as getting down the, the contract side of things, you know, ironing those out and, getting some under your belt, maybe that changes, or maybe you have a, a different person do that down the line. So you can focus more on, on the creative editorial and the, uh, the non let's have a contract discussion. Here's the contract agreement. Some of your questions part, which is very key, but like you said, it's not necessarily well pe why people get into any creative service, but it's also one of those underlooked aspects of, I think uh, what a lot of creatives have dealt with and what their training and background might include the importance of having, you know, the business 101 version of your career as a creative is is pretty huge and i think for a lot of us you know we we didn't necessarily have that because we were doing something else and didn't go into that very large uh, expensive looking building that the business students went into so we don't have the the background but then you get into it and realize i should probably learn a little bit more about this and figure out how to do it yeah and hopefully that's a lot of what we're kind of doing with and for creators like there there is sort of an education component to this and i think what we were doing with stud and and perry crow is, is a good example of that because in, in a certain extent to a certain extent we're kind of teaching perry how to how to do this right um not that he's not that he doesn't know anything he's a really smart guy and he he certainly knows the theory of marketing and how to call retailers but we kind of went over like a script almost you know like okay when you call who are you asking for like who do you ask for when you call a store do you ask to speak to the owner is there uh, a buying agent like like w w what do you call the person who goes through the catalog and orders things um, you know, like, so there's, there's all of this, this detail work that goes into it. And, I, and honestly, like I'm learning a lot of this, a lot of this stuff too. Fortunately, you know, with the people that I've been able to get together for this, we have a lot of different skill sets and a lot of different experiences. And so, you know, if I don't know the answer to something, there's a good chance Bon or Paul or Ken does. Right. So, um, so we're, you know, we're kind of working on all, all of that stuff. And, and hopefully when you go through our system, a, you realize that that you know what I, the conversation I keep having about contracts because everybody gets really freaked out about contracts, right? Like once there's a legal document <laughs> that people are looking at, people get like really nervous about it, uh, which I totally understand. Like, don't get me wrong, I don't like dealing with contracts either, and they are kind of scary because they're, they're often written in this sort of legalese, hard to understand way. Um, you know, and it's, and, and, you know, there's always that worry. They're like, oh, are they trying to sneak one over on me or something like that? So, you know, the conversation I keep having with people is, is, is this, when we get to the contract stage is the contract is the beginning of our relationship. It is not the end of our relationship. And it, and it really is in a lot of ways, like, like what I think marriages are kind of supposed to be like, I don't know if they're all this way, probably they aren't, but like, you know, if you think of sort of the, are we going to do this project together? Are we the right publisher for you? Like that's the whole dating process, right? And then you get engaged, you've agreed, you're going to go on a contract and then contracts 
you know, negotiated or whatever, blah, blah, blah. The contract is signed. That's like your wedding day, right? That's the beginning of the marriage. That's not the end of the marriage. And hopefully any marriage that we have doesn't end in like bitter divorce. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's not the goal. The goal is to have the contract, have that be the beginning of our relationship. And then we are going to work together from here on out. It's not... You know, signing a contract isn't passing the baton from the publisher to the creator or from the creator to the publisher. It's saying, okay, we're now, we are in this together. And so we're going to talk about marketing together and you're going to do some of the marketing and we're going to do some of the marketing. We're going to target Facebook ads and you're going to call retailers and you're going to set up signings and, you know, you're going to go on to podcasts and we'll go on to these other podcasts and all that kind of stuff. It is, this is an ongoing relationship and it doesn't end when the book comes out in comic shops either it continues beyond that and and we're going to keep your books in print for as long as we can sell them and we're going to try and find new audiences to sell them to and and you're going to do that too right and sometimes we'll even be selling books to you now when we sell books to creators it's obviously at a discount um but that way you know if you're going to go to shows and you've run out of books you contact me as long as i've got them in inventory you know we've got a system in place for for what you're going to, to, to pay for them so that you can make a, a good profit on them when you're selling them at shows and signing them and all that sort of stuff, you know? Uh, and of course, you know, in the initial print run, you get your, your X number of free copies and stuff like that. That's all, that's all, that's all standard language in the contract. But, but so many creators go into it going, okay, I've signed this contract. The publisher is going to now market it, sell it. And I don't have to worry about it. All I have to do is turn in files. Well, no, Unfortunately, no, it'd be great if it were the case as a creator who, who used to think that way. And like, I am, I do not promote my own books that I write. I, I, I really struggle to do it because in the back of my head, I still have that idea of like, okay, they've got it. They take it from here. <laughs> and I've, I've had to kick myself and get over that. But, um, but as a publisher, I'm like, Hey man, I need your help. Like we're in this together. You know how the contract says we both make money when this thing makes money. Let's, let's do this. Let's get this book to make the most money possible. And no one sells books the way the creators do. Yes. The publisher can help and can do things, but we, I think are more helpful by helping you, the creator strategize, right? And which is not to say again, like we're, we're going out there, we're putting ourselves out there. We're calling retailers too. We're doing all of that stuff also. But I think when we help the creators strategize and how to build the fan base and how to get in with retailers, that's the most effective marketing. Uh, and then the stuff that we're doing, you know, direct like that is, is a little less effective, still effective. It's just a little less effective than when it's the creator him or herself. Yeah, I think it's it's that that ecosystem that makes sense. I think most publishers, I would assume even your larger publishers nowadays, expect the creators are going to be utilizing their social media platform or hopping into interviews when they can or working whatever other angles, calling stores, just because that's sort of the nature of the beast is everybody's their own small business at the at the end of the day in a lot of ways. So where should folks go to find out more about Comics Experience Publishing? It's cexpublishing.com. Um, and there you can, you know, the, the website is still fairly bare bones. There's a home page and I think an about us page and I think a web store. And really that's about it right now. And currently, I'll just go ahead and say this. Currently, we, we do not have an open submissions policy. We have 
we take submissions through Comics Experience, through the courses in the workshop, and those submission windows are open through Comics Experience, the education company, which is comicsexperience.com. Uh, comics just spelled like comics plural. There's no X or anything, and it. it's just C-O-M-I-C-S experience.com. Um, you know, we, we will take submissions from the members of the workshop, you know, they have to workshop the material, you know, it is, it, it's not pay to play. Like that's really important to us. It's like, just because you become a member doesn't mean, you know, your, your stuff is, is going to get, you can submit, but it, it needs to be evaluated. But, but, you know, the reason we have this, this with comics experience isn't to, to force people to, to go to comics experience it's it's really because comics experience becomes a really effective filter in order to get your project kind of through the workshop or through a course or that sort of stuff a lot of people have given you intelligent notes <laughs> on, on your project and hopefully have helped you make it as good as you can make it um and so it's like running through the gauntlet you know so if we are only evaluating projects that have already run through the gauntlet for the projects that are more or less breaking in new talent or, or, or emerging talent, that is a really, really helpful. You know, if we can look at 10 projects with a, with a, or, or 30 projects with a good chance of, of really being picked up rather than 500 projects with only 30 projects in them, that is super helpful. We do not have the resources to, to do an open submissions call. We just simply do not have those resources. Um, and then, uh, and then anything else that we're doing, like I said, we, you know, we're in conversations with certain creators, you know, there's sort of this sort of invitation only, you know, and a lot of that is, you know, going out to the networks of, of our own and talking to people at conventions and seeing what's out there. And, and, you know, then we can kind of do sort of an invitation only, but again, we just, you know, we have such limited bandwidth at this point, you know, but, I mean, I, even in this conversation, I've talked about how we're calling retailers, we're doing Facebook ads, we're like, we're doing all of this stuff. Um, and there's just only so many hours in the day. Very true. Well, if you want to follow Comics Experience on Twitter, I know there's news there uh, at Comics Experience. You can also sign up for the newsletter over at comicsexperience.com. And Andy, you're on Twitter. Uh, I know at different different times talking about different things for your personal account. Yeah, that's 39A Andy. So there's two A's in a row there. 39A Andy uh, is my Twitter handle. Um, and then the Comics Experience Publishing is also on Twitter and Instagram and stuff. And you can you can look up CEX on there. It's at CEX Publishing. So very simple. It's the same as the website. So I, that's what I thought it was. And I was like, no, nah, that's the website. I, I got to get this wrong. But it's at CEX Publishing on Twitter. Um, and we're on Instagram as well. Uh, if you have any questions, you can email info at comicsexperience.com or you can tweet at comic experience and we will happily talk about it here on the show. Andy, anything else coming out? I know, uh, you've got your DC miniseries that's still going. Uh, what have I got coming out? Yeah, I've got crime syndicate coming out. So issue three came out, which was the end of the first arc. Uh, the miniseries is actually two, three issue arcs. Uh, so issue four is coming out real, real soon. Um, and is the start of the second arc and the six as a whole, you know, tell kind of a bigger, bigger story, but the first three issues, uh, ended in a phenomenal climax. Um, uh, and, and brought the the evil jerks together for the first time that are sort of the anti-Justice League. And uh, issues four through six, uh, you know, it's a whole other adventure, but it, but it also sort of explains why they will stay together. Because when you have five or six jerks 
together, it's really difficult for you to like. At, you're looking at these characters, and you're like, there's no reason for these people to work, <laughs> to work <laughs> together. They all hate each other, and they all hate everyone else, and they're all just in it for themselves. Why do they work together? Which was really sort of the core for 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 what we did for the series, because this is this is basically an origin story for them. Um, and so that was really fun, you know, talking with with my you know the original editor on the series, Brian, uh, about like, okay, well, bringing them together, that's fairly easy. We just need a threat large enough to actually get them in the same place at the same time. What's difficult is why do they hang out after that once that threat? is gone what is it what's the glue that keeps them together and that's really what the what the second arc um is about all wrapped up in you know high octane action uh as, as well so that's coming out that's coming out soon and of course stud in the blood blade tell your retailers right now you want you want both covers there's an a and a b um and and have them place the order those orders are closing uh in the like at the end of the like around June 10th would be about the last day that retailers can order them to make sure that they get a copy. Uh, I'm setting the print run, I think on the 13th of June. Um, so uh, there's that. And then Howling Snow, by the time this drops, Howling Snow, uh, which comes out in August, will be will be solicited. So tell your retailers you want Sudden the Blood Blade, one through three, and you want Howling Snow, number one, our, for, our, our first one shot. Excellent. So there's there's lot there's still time to get on board and lots of ways to check it out. So go go over and I know there's previews you can find uh, on the Comics Experience social media feeds as well as um, checking it out on the the main website so you can see what's what's coming out and get on board and and hear what we are talking about. Obviously, well, great. Well, until next time, keep making and publishing comics. <laughs>